and welcome to the Grounded Families podcast with me, Julia Goodall, psychologist and coach. This is a podcast for all families navigating life, love and relationships. We delve into our stories and experiences of family and how these go on to shape and change who we are. I'm so happy to have you here. On this week's episode, I speak with Eloise Rickman. Eloise is an author and parent educator who lives in South London with her husband and her young daughter, Frida. Eloise is the author of Extraordinary Parenting, which is one of the most wonderful parenting books I've ever come across. It is a compilation of so, so much information. And it's written in a way that's incredibly accessible. I couldn't recommend that enough. I have long admired Eloise and the way that she looks at parenting not just in a, in terms of tips and tricks and things to do or not to do, but that she really looks at parenting in a way that holds parents in mind um, and that we all we all exist in part of a society that has created the way in which we parent. So yes, I hope you enjoy this wonderful chat. I am Eloise. I live in South London with my husband and my young daughter, Frida. And something I should probably say about our family is that Frida is home educated. So she has been home educated since birth, really. And I am a writer. I write about parenting and I write about alternative and home-based education. And I also work with parents all over the world through online courses, again, around those themes of kind of evidence-based, peaceful, sort of non-violent parenting. Um, And that's been a real joy being able to work with so many different families. I love working one-on-one with families or with couples. Um, It's such a joy. And I think it's so lovely to be able to go deeply into that person or that couple's journey. Mm. So it was a bit of a difficult decision to kind of take a little break from that one-on-one work. But at the moment, um, yeah, I don't have an enormous amount of time in my working week. And I'm sure you can relate to that. But, you know, when you're working one-on-one with someone, it takes quite a lot of time and energy. You know, you want to prepare for that mm. conversation. You want to have the conversation. You want to reflect on it afterwards. Yeah. Um, and so at the moment, I'm prioritizing sort of group workshops and courses. Um, and I'm also taking on a sort of new writing project at the moment. So it feels like my time is mm. being spread out in all different ways. And I didn't want to... Um, kind of you know say that I would take on more clients and then not be able to show up for them in the ways that I wanted it's quite a lovely way to work as well that you have seasons of different types of work and I I mean I really I like doing that myself that you'll have times of working in a particular way and times of other and I think that's healthy and quite a normal thing to do anyway um definitely can you tell us a teeny bit about your writing project yes of course so I wrote my first book last year which feels so strange and surreal still saying that because it's been such a whirlwind year um but I wrote my first book Extraordinary Parenting um in April of last year so April 2020 and I really kind of wrote it as a response to the pandemic okay um and I think at the time I'm thinking about last April now, it's almost a year ago at the time you know we had just gone into the first lockdown And I was getting so many messages and so many calls and so many, you know, kind of posts and comments going like, ah, what do we do as parents Mm. in this situation? Both from people who were homeschooling normally, from people who were suddenly 
kind of having to educate their children or provide that education for their children at home for the first time. And I think just so many people who were just struggling massively Mm. with the anxiety and the worry and just, you know, how do we be with our children and with our families at a time like this? Mm. Um, So I, yeah, you know, a few things led on from each other and I ended up writing a book which was published in May. Um, And that was really lovely, but it was not the writing project that I had sort of had in my mind. You know, when I thought about writing a book, I hadn't particularly imagined writing a book in a pandemic. And although it's not just, um, it's not just based on pandemic life, you know, I really wrote it hoping that it will be relevant and useful for families for years to come. Mm -hmm. But I definitely did, um, you know, it did impact on the sort of content that I was putting in there. Um, in terms of just having the limitations of living within a pandemic close to my mind so Mm -hmm. trying to ensure that the suggestions I gave and the ideas I had were going to be relevant to people because suddenly all of our go-to parenting resources Mm -hmm. were suddenly feeling a little bit out of date I think during that time Um, so I had previously before I wrote this book I had previously been um, kind of planning to write a slightly different parenting book Um, which still has the same sort of themes that extraordinary parenting has. You know, I think the heart is a real respect for children, mm. a sense of um, yeah, wanting to kind of be peaceful and nonviolent in our parenting. And when I talk about nonviolence, I don't just mean not hitting your children, sure. but in the kind of more holistic sense of um, trying to do no harm with our actions as far as we can. Mm. Um, And there's also a deep interest in, again, sort of alternative educational pedagogies, the idea that maybe there are different ways that we can relate to and educate our children. But whereas Extraordinary Parenting was very much focused on the practical here and now, you know, I really wrote it so it could be easily digested as a short guide that people could sort of just dive into Mm -hmm. and sort of take practical information from. Um, I had always wanted to write a book which sort of delved into... I guess the issues around slightly more just radical parenting um, and not only how these things can have a really positive impact on our families and ourselves as parents, Mm. but also how actually how we educate and um, raise our children, the parenting styles that we take on, Mm. how these also have a wider impact on society and on the world around us. Mm. So I'm currently working on a proposal along those lines for another book. Um, so exciting which is exciting yeah. and I feel really invigorated and inspired by but um we'll have to we'll have to wait and see <laughs> if anything comes of it as ever with the writing process oh, the messy and middle it's such a funny thing yeah and I think no one talks about that you know you hear people talk about the very early stages of wanting to write I think because I don't know, perhaps it feels a little safer there when you don't feel there's much to gamble with. And then I think people talk a lot about, of course, you know, once you've got that book mm, deal or once stages, you, yeah. you know, yeah, but no one talks about the messy process of writing proposals and having back and forth conversations with, you know, your agent and with other people about what that should look like and the kind of shape it might take. And mm. um, yeah, it definitely feels like a lot more of a, a process this time around rather than just a a quick idea to get off the ground but it also feels really exciting it feels like a vulnerable making time as well where this is something that's so precious to you and it's your life's work and you're handing it over and someone's critiquing it 
on not necessarily the same grounds as you. And that sounds like it might be uh, a little bit vulnerable making. (laughs) I think it is. I think it definitely is. I think there's a lot of self-doubt that comes along with writing anything and putting it out there in the world. But I think especially, you know, when you are engaging with traditional publishing rather than self-publishing, I think there is definitely a sense of, okay, how do I take what's in my mind and not only communicate it in a way which other people will find interesting and enjoyable and Mm. challenging and, you know, all the things that I think we hope that our writing will be, Mm. but also in a way that, you know, let's not to put too fine a point on it, but, you know, but people actually want to stock in shops and, you know, that people are going to want to buy and which will have commercial success and value as well um and I think especially when you are writing something that doesn't always um chime with the mainstream Mm. you know some of the ideas they don't feel very radical or new to me anymore because I've been you know reading and learning and sort of living my life like this for many years now but I think there is definitely something vulnerable about taking something that feels very close to your heart Mm. and putting it out there for other people to yeah to to sort of critique over or or break through but I think that's important as well um I think especially as someone who's self-employed I'm you know I sort of just do what I want in my work and of course you know my clients have to enjoy that work and it has to work well for them and their feedback and their comments really matter to me Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's no one else hanging over my shoulder going, oh, should you be putting that in your course? Or do you Mm. think maybe you should be using different language here? So although it feels very, um, yeah, it does feel very vulnerable sometimes. But I think it also feels really lovely for someone who doesn't really work with people to have that sense of, oh, you know, we're all working together to have the same common goal. You know, we all want this to be a project which resonates. Mm. Um, Well, just to say this, this book is, it's so beautiful. I have my copy here. It's totally dog-eared and smashed and um, it's so beautiful. Um, It reminded me so much and I imagine it will become a book like this for other people. But I remember um, I'd had my first child in South Africa and I'd looked at all these parenting books and at the time they, it was the, like, it felt like the heyday of sort of Gina Ford and, and that mm. sort of thing. And I felt, um, ugh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go into that too much, but didn't resonate. And it felt, I felt uncomfortable. And I remember standing in a bookshop in, um, in Claremont and finding a Sarah Ackle Smith book, um, who mm. I'd never heard of before. I think it was her toddler calm book. And I remember yeah. flipping through it and just um, devouring it, even in the shop and thinking, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. It was like a relief to find something um, which felt resonant and which felt, um, yeah, just felt in line with how I was thinking about parenting. And um, and I feel like your book will do the same. It's just, um, it feels like a lifeline book. It's done in such beautiful oh. segments as well that people can dip in and out. It doesn't feel overwhelming um, and what really struck me is that it's written in such non-judgmental language, which I think parenting work can often um, veer into unknowingly. Mm. So, yeah, I think, honestly, it's such a beautiful, compact little treasure, that book. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think that place of non-judgment was really important for me when I was writing, and I think it's increasingly 
just one of a real guiding principles in the work that I do because it doesn't help anyone yeah you know and I mean you you know very well in the work that you do shame doesn't help anyone either you know shame has the opposite effect Mm -hmm. that I think we would often be hoping for and shaming people and putting pressure on them you know I think it completely ignores the fact that we parent in systems which are not designed to support us as parents and especially as mothers and you know we might have the best will in the world and I think pretty much all parents want the best for their children you know I've never come across anyone who's like oh actually you know (laughs) don't really don't really care you know all parents I think care deeply about their children but not everyone parents from the same level playing field and I really want to try and write something which um yeah which sort of resonates with people and it's hard because you know you often hear people say well you know if you're if you're writing for everyone then you're writing for no one Mm. which I think on some level is true and which is why I really want to stay firm to the the kind of core principles of having that you know respectful parenting discussing perhaps alternate ways of looking at how we educate children and so on but I do think that it's important to sort of try and be inclusive and try and be compassionate when we're thinking about what other parents might be going for. It's really interesting. Yeah. There were, I know people say that you shouldn't read your own book reviews. Oh gosh, yeah, and sounds... it's probably incredibly <laughs> uncool to even say that you do, but you know, I'm fine with being uncool. Um, but it's really interesting. I had two really terrible one-star reviews okay. um, on Amazon. Yeah. Again, you know, probably not the stuff you... But what I found so interesting is that they were both essentially saying the opposite thing. There was one person who was saying, oh, I hated how in this book the author kept saying, um, you know, oh, well, if you live in a small flat here, or oh, if you don't have much space or money here, you know, it just made me feel awful for not having to think of those things. Um, And then on the other hand, there was someone going, oh, you know, this person is writing is you know we're full of privilege and I mean I absolutely do carry lots of privilege with me in my writing but I found it interesting that okay you know if we if I've got both critiques <laughs> then I'm probably hitting, hitting the middle hitting mark the quite right well balance in here. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> absolutely and then I mean I guess that plays into also that parenting work is so so raw for people and it's like saying mm. apple and it means all sorts of things to all sorts of people and yeah I think you kind of lose control of what your words and the impact that they have if they're having some sort of psychological impact that is obviously not yours to own um yeah. But yeah I imagine that sometimes there must be a lot of heat around these conversations for you um which oh I don't know feels a bit draining as well <laughs> you feel like I'm just talking about this I'm not critiquing your life or your parenting and yeah it's a really evocative topic it definitely is an evocative topic and I think it's yeah, but I think also coming with that understanding that it will be evocative for people and it will trigger people mm. in different ways. And I think just having that knowledge sort of makes doing the work easier okay. because you kind of have that almost, you you expect yeah. it. So um, it's it's not always easy, I think, but you just have to hope that, well, I'm doing this with good intention to the best of my ability. Yep, that's and all you can do. All you can really do exactly. with any creative work is put it out exactly. there. Exactly. Oh, no, it's wonderful. I wanted to ask a little bit about, um, to pick up something you said earlier about shame. And I feel like I've been thinking about that so much this morning. I had a wild Mm. hoover as I heard dreadful news about um, Sarah Everett. 
I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly, Everard, um, the woman who it seems has been abducted from Clapham and, um, yeah, it seems like she may have been murdered. And thinking about parenting, because I was speaking to you, and how, mm. what do we do in this situation that this feels, again, such a systemic problem um, yeah. that men aren't born out of, you know, different places to women and how are we how how is this in play for all of us how are we not meeting kids needs in a way that they grow up to to murder mm. other people um and to murder women particularly um and i don't put you on the spot for that <laughs> it's quite a big question but no. i wonder if you could speak to that yeah i mean it's such a big question isn't it and like we were saying before it is you know i think it would be unfair to parents to say well you know parenting has directly caused these things but I also think that we need to not shy away from the fact that actually parenting and when I'm talking about parenting I'm not talking about individual parents but parenting as a collective set of societal practices and norms and I think within that parenting we also have to weave in the education system as well just because it is so impactful on children's lives I think we do need to look at okay how does mainstream parenting how does mainstream education prop up Mm. the sorts of systems and mentalities which allow for a woman to be taken from the street at half past nine when she's walking home Mm. and murdered and you know that it's so much more you know I was having a conversation with my husband about this as well this morning you know like you I found it devastating to think about and so many women that I've spoken to since you know texting my friends and I think we all feel that same collective sense of not shock because it's not shocking sadly you know here in the UK two women a week are murdered Mm. by their partners and I know this was slightly different but it's not sadly shocking to hear of women being murdered and killed um but I think just that sense of horror and sadness Mm. that this continues to happen but you know it's not just for man who took her from the street you know it's not just even the man who makes the sexist joke it's not just the man who you know I think this is something that as a society we all have to take some part of the blame for um and looking at not just how do we raise you know men to be respectful and kind to women Mm. but also I think how do we look at power in our families and I think this is something so important that isn't really spoken about enough you know I think so many again sort of mainstream parenting practices even you know pretty gentle parenting respectful parenting practices still show parenting as essentially a hierarchical yeah you know set of rules or practices where the parent is in charge and although the parent may do you know things with the child's best interest at heart and you know maybe warm and maybe you know kind when setting limits and so on all of which is obviously very important there is still a huge power imbalance in those homes and I think that when we're teaching children from a young age that if you have more power than someone you can get them to do things that they don't want to do um you know whether it is we're doing it with our child's you know own best interests at heart or not if that's the message that we give to children you know if you don't do what I want you to do I can punish you or I can shame you or I can send you away to your room I think we that's very problematic because it from the earliest years we're showing children that if you have power you can kind of do what you want with it Mm -hmm. and 
I think that that has such massive implications, not just for, you know, the kind of patriarchal sexism and, you know, the violence against women, but in terms of racism, in terms of homophobia, in terms of, you know, the sorts of policies which end up with children being given half a queen bag of tuna as their packed lunch, um, whilst we have politicians' meals being subsidised and so on. Um, and, you know, it's it's a broad topic and there is so much at play. But I think that one of the first things that we need to be looking at as parents is how does power show up in our relationships with our children? Where does control show up? Where does consent show up? You know, are we listening to our children's bodily autonomy when they tell us that they're full or that they're still hungry or that they're not cold and they don't want to wear their coat or that they're not tired yet and they don't want to go to bed and of course you know again it's 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 subtle and it's not just a a blanket will do this or don't do this because of course as parents we also have other needs you know we need I need to make sure as a mother that my daughter is brushing her teeth so that her teeth don't rot and fall out I need to ensure as a mother that she has access to healthy food and that she's moving her body and all of these things but I think moving from a space of, you know, top down, I will tell you what to do and you will do it to a kind of, you know, consensus basis for making decisions in our homes. OK, let's all have a conversation about what we need. What do I need as a mother? What do you need as a child? How can we have those conversations? And I think from a very young age, we can start involving children in decisions about their care, in offering them choices and real meaningful choices mm. Um, and in trying to start unraveling, okay, where are my decisions coming from? Is this particular decision that I'm taking genuinely because this is absolutely 100% the best thing for my child in this moment? Or is it coming from a gut reaction because of how I was parented? Is it coming because I feel triggered? Is it coming because I feel fearful of what other parents who are in the playground are going to say? Mm. You know, there's so much at play here. And I don't think that there are easy solutions or easy, you know, answers to this. But I think these are conversations and questions that need to be raised and needs to be raised urgently. Um, and I do think that, you know, on the one hand, it feels cruel to say to parents who have already showed us so much mm. in terms of exhaustion and tiredness and resources to go. And you know what? The fate of the fate of the world is on your shoulders because of how you're raising oh, children. Gosh, yeah. But at the same time, we do have a responsibility. And I think a responsibility not just to our children, but to all children and to all people. Mm. And I think when we start approaching parenting from the fact that, okay, this will have an impact on my child, which we know, right? No one is arguing this. We have, you know, decades upon decades of research on psychology and neuroscience and we understand now that parenting unequivocally has an impact on children and how those children grow up and become adults and on their happiness levels and on their health and so I don't think it's particularly controversial to say well if we take it one step further that means our parenting and our education practices also have a deep reaching lasting impact on our societies Mm. because what are our societies and cultures if not at least primarily steered by the individuals within them and Mm. I know that again you know in kind of late stage capitalist culture where there are corporations and there are you know again it becomes more nuanced and more complex Mm. but I think that at least starting and beginning to have those conversations around what what do we want to change 
where might these things be coming from and can we at least have an open mind mm. as to how our parenting or how the education system might be propping up or or not just propping up but also the opposite might have a role in dismantling these harmful structures mm. and I think for me that's much more exciting rather than pointing at parents and saying this is your fault yeah, you should exactly. be raising better sons or you should be raising stronger daughters mm. or you should be raising more anti-racist children yes like but can we instead, rather than pointing the finger, start looking at, okay, we know that there are these problems. How can we find exciting, creative, like delightful, joyful ways to bring these things into our parenting and into our daily life with children? Mm. And it's so much for me around, okay, what are the values that are dear to my heart? And how do I live those with integrity mm. in my daily life as a parent and uh, yeah yeah. it's tricky because we don't have much time to reflect I feel like also it's a real sort of zooming in and zooming out of what happens in these sort of discussions that it's kind of on a micro level and in everyone's house but you know everyone's home can't be responsible for the like collective and the system and that those systemic conversations have to there has to be more systemic movement um and less kind of microscopic guilt do you know what I mean um, totally. But I love so much that you say, and also in your book, you mentioned about the inner work surrounding parents. And, mm. and I feel that that um, is so much more helpful and it also feels more gentle because all of these things, they feel like they're from the same kind of globular thing and they'll pop up in different ways and in different sites and different locations. But it feels like it's the same texture. And so if we are looking at parenting in terms of tips and tricks or um mm yeah like you say ways to get children to do what we want then I feel like we've also missed the an opportunity and all sorts of opportunities here is how we've been curious about why is this important to me why is um yeah my child's autonomy important to me is my child's autonomy important to me and if it isn't there's something to look at there what what have you experienced in your life that has brought you to this um assumption um and that inherently I just don't believe that people are bad I just don't by that and that we are all um kind of really complex products of what we've experienced and ourselves and our internal life and yeah so it feels like you say a conversation to be had as opposed to lots of Mm. summaries um or lots of statements strung together about how awful things are and that also feels like a far more hopeful place to start otherwise it's just it's overwhelming and I think people freeze and don't do anything you know yeah 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 and it is overwhelming and I think it's overwhelming to think as a me one tiny person how do I make a difference Mm -hmm. but I think that's also why looking at the potential impacts and positive changes that our parenting can have and again zooming back in not just on the world Mm -hmm. you know I, I really worry about a narrative that says you should treat children well because one day they're going to be in charge you know once they are the future citizens like because yes of course they are the future citizens and that's really important but primarily we need to be treating children well because they're humans and they deserve to be treated well and everything else is like you know the the lovely icing on top Mm. um you know it's positive that there are great changes that will come from that but Mm. I think it's really about engaging with okay how are we honoring children's humanity in this too and I do think that that inner work is it is so important and it's not just a 
a one-time thing yeah. I think this is why it's quite difficult in a in a culture which tells us okay well you can fix things mm. you know lose weight in 30 days retrain in 20 days you know uh and I think this idea that inner work you know often with the work that I do on my courses there'll be a, a light bulb moment for people where they suddenly go oh my goodness this is something I'm going to be doing forever <laughs> and you kind of go yeah it is yeah. you know this is something I think we're going to be working on throughout our lives as parents and I think not just as parents either you know if you have other people listening who don't have children I think it's not even about just children but it's also thinking about well how do I relate to how I was treated mm. and what impact might that have had on me yeah. and you know, even if you don't have children yourself, you will have friends with children, you will have children who, you know, you'll have nephews and nieces, there'll be children in your life, there'll be young people in your mm -hmm. life. There are still opportunities to, you know, gently bring up and advocate for children. Um, you know, when we see damaging headlines, or when someone calls you childish, or, you know, there are so many different ways, I think, in which we can show up with this understanding. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's it's incredibly hopeful and I think it's empowering to say to people actually there are there are things that you can do yeah. that will have a positive impact on the world around you. And I think especially with parents when, you know, even now my daughter is, as I said, nearly six and there's so much that I feel that I used to do. You know, I used to go on protests and I used to do lots of research into all sorts of different issues and used to volunteer and he was a trustee for a charity all these things and you kind of think I can't do that right now you know your world shrinks a little bit often mm. I think when you have a young child and I think it's very it's very encouraging to say to parents you might not be able to go out and protest or you might not be able to go and volunteer but you can still do something radical and powerful with a huge potential to transform our society in a way that brings it closer to your vision of what a good world and a good life looks mm. like. And I think for me, that is, yeah, really, really wonderful. Yeah, holding that tension. Ooh. Can I ask a bit how you came to this work? So, I mean, I always think about the way, like we've spoken about, the way that we would have been parented and the experiences we would Ooh. have had in our lives. How have you come to this work? I think through a number of different sort of strands that have led to this really I think first you know looking at my own childhood um, I think like many people I can see huge positives in the way that I was parented you know my mum was quite young when she had me she was just 22 um, but I think she parented very much in a quite an instinctive way but in a way that I think met so many of my needs you know mm. sort of things like co-sleeping and being very playful and being very kind and mm. um spending a lot of time outdoors I also didn't go to school until I was six okay. so I had those first six years um just at home you know going to the beach every day or going mm. to the park every day um and I think that although there are things that my parents did in their parenting which I certainly wouldn't want to replicate with my daughter you know, I think they both were incredibly present. Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of good enough parenting, mm. where, you know, it kind of doesn't rely too much on parenting manuals or books. And it, it's quite an instinctive idea that 
you will, you know, you will fail, but actually the general is that the children's needs are getting met. And I feel like that's a really good summary of actually how I was parented. And I feel that that had a huge positive impact on my life. I think that those first six years of my life were a massive gift that have Mm. stayed with me forever. So I think that has been a lovely thing to reflect back on. But as I said, but I can see even how with my parents who loved me very much and wanted to do the best for me, there were still things they did which were harmful. And I feel that if they had known more or known better or had permission to try different things, then, you know, I know that my mum sometimes says to me, oh, you know, you're so lucky now because you have all this access to all these books and access to all this research. But, Mm. you know, in the 80s, maybe she didn't have access to in the same way. So I think there was definitely something there. And I think even though I maybe didn't kind of conceptualise it um, in quite the same way, I know that when my daughter was very small, I had a real sense of, um, you know, wanting to be with her. And I think wanting to replicate that same childhood that I had of not wanting to put her in childcare, not wanting to be separate from her. And I say this with no judgment of parents who do, but I know for me, it was a real deep sense of, okay, I want to, I want to be able to explore Mm. what my parenting relationship might look like if I gave myself more time and space to it. Um, But then I think from the work that I do now, it sort of came in a, professionally I guess a more sort of complex direction um I studied anthropology on for my undergraduate degree and I remember even then just being completely fascinated by again this idea of okay how do how does the state shape the sorts of ways in which our families and our um you know our parenting practices are sort of formed and transformed um you know anyone who's studied anthropology will know the huge discussions that are had around things like kinship models and you know that's fascinating to me but then also how in turn those individuals will go on to then again shape or either sort of prop up those cultural narratives and ideas or will go the other way and start to um, push back against those ideas and create new new forms and new models and ways of being and I remember being absolutely yeah absolutely blown away by learning you know for the first time really even though I think I would have known it sort of if I had really been asked really seeing okay there are more than one way to to raise a family to to sort of be a family um reading about you know amazing sort of um groups and hunter gatherers and reading about these different ways of children being conceptualized Mm. and thinking oh there, there isn't just again one way to conceptualize of children and what's good for children and what sort of child development should be like or could look like um and so I think that really again it's not something that I was necessarily aware of leaving university but I think it's another strand that I can see now that has really um, impacted and influenced on my work and I now am going back a lot to reading again so many more books on anthropology and on raising children so interesting Um, ties so much into the systemic work of things and that real zooming out again um definitely yeah. Yeah. I love what you say about the good enough mother and um oh yeah that was a it felt like quite a turning point for me I had um postnatal depression that I actively denied <laughs> I think that um my psychology training was actually really negative for me in that way mm. is that I was so hyper focused on um on knowing that that time is so crucial and it absolutely yeah. froze me 
Um, and I was incredibly anxious, but also just in denial <laughs> that that I was not okay. Mm. And a friend that I had trained with came to visit and drop off stuff and Harrison was really tiny. And um, she had said <laughs> some alarm in her eyes. Um, this is just about good enough parenting, not perfect parenting. Yeah. Um, but I remember something about the systems that you talk about that led to that anxiety as well and that wanting to be together. So I felt mm. incredible anxiety around the timeframes that we put on parenting. And in South Africa, yeah. we have four months maternity leave, if that. Wow. It's so yeah. short. And I think it is changing, but I mean, that's what it was at the time. And I felt this real preemptive anxiety around feeling like this yeah. tiny, tiny human. And there's an expectation that I'll have to leave. Um, and that felt... Um, yeah, it felt unmanageable to me, but that and that if there's more freedom within those systems that we get to parent in a way yeah. that feels comfortable. And that means Definitely. going back to work at five months if you would like to, but it also means yeah. staying at home for 10 years if that's what you'd like to, you know. Yeah. And that's like offering that fluidity. So I think that's, again, such an important tension to hold for people. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that preemptive anxiety is something I see so much both of the people that I work with, but also in my friends as well, that sense of, oh, I've just given birth and I'm already having to look at nurseries mm. or find daycare. or um, And like you say, some, some women will want to go back to work and that will be really important for yeah. them and their own well-being and their own self-care. And, you know, that's absolutely fine if that is genuinely what's, you know, what you want and what's best for you and your family. Mm. But I think... I think it's become very, again, like very unfashionable to sort of dare say that actually some some mothers and actually some fathers too would actually quite like to stay home a little longer. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't ever want to have a career again. Mm. It might just mean, although if they don't and if they want to just be, you know, mothers, then that also shouldn't be a, a negative either. You know, I think it's such important work. That's kind of something I could probably talk about for a long time. <laughs> but I really feel that giving parents more flexibility in those early years around when they go back to work and what that childcare looks like for them. You know, maybe a mother would be ready to go back to work mornings and then come back and spend the afternoons with her child. But I think we live in such an all or nothing culture. Um, and that had a massive part on actually me doing this work. I, so before I had my daughter, I was a government press officer. Oh, wow. Okay. So very different work. Gosh, yes. <laughs> so working, working in the civil service. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, I actually, I really enjoyed the work. It was interesting. Got to meet lots of fantastic, interesting people. Got to work with sort of ministers and policy officials. Oh, I really liked yeah. it. Um, and I think I had always assumed that I would go back part time. And that felt like a kind of a fairly okay balance to me. Um, but when I started exploring it, you know, after my daughter was a few months old and talking about, okay, well, what will it look like when I go back? I remember I was told um, by the then team manager, well, you know, press office just isn't a part time job. And kind of having to really fight Gosh. and push. Um, and copying in HR and you know again I'm lucky because I feel confident and to relatively sharp elbowed yeah. and was able to do that mm. and I just said well this is completely unreasonable like look by our own HR stuff you have to at least you know consider my request and yes. so on and then they kind of backpedaled and said oh okay no that's fine you can come back three days a week but um 
And we've had a, they were always restructuring the press office. That was like their favorite thing to do. They were like, and we'll put you on, um, on the corporate desk. And so for anyone who doesn't know what a press office is like in the government, which I'm sure will be a small minority of your listeners, um, basically that's like where no one wants to work. You know, that's essentially the kind of work where like most of the time you don't get any work, but every now and again, it'll be like, oh, have you invested in the wrong pension pot for your employees or you know oh one of your government um, advisors has been spending their money in the wrong way so it's either incredibly stressful or really boring there's no chance for like exciting campaign work or all the stuff that I loved doing before um, which just felt and you know I was lucky because I was offered a job to go back to but I know that so many mothers are just shunted out or um, you know made to leave or not given those options but effectively what they were saying is you can occupy this chair in the corner and if we have to keep paying you because of the laws that exist um we will yeah but we we don't want to yeah and it's just such a a, you know it's such a common Mm. common story i think um and I think that was the push I needed to go, actually, you know what, I don't want to go back mm. to this job. I want to do something else and I'll figure out what it is. And again, we were so lucky to be able to make it work financially for a while without me working. And yeah. that's, you know, a huge privilege that so many people don't have. Um, but yeah, it was it was really eye-opening, that sense of, I think before I had had my daughter, I was like, why wouldn't I want to go back to work three yes. days a week? or however many, you know, I enjoy it. And I'm sure I'll enjoy being a mother too, but I don't see why those things can't coexist very happily. Mm. But it casts such a shadow over my maternity leave, that constant stress and worry of what will happen. I don't want to leave mm. her. I don't feel ready for it. Um, Gosh. So yeah. that was a very long-winded way of saying I completely agree. <laughs> I'm all here for the, for the long-winded answers. Um, and I think that, again, is such a common feeling that people feel such mm. shame, like it often feels about shame. So either shame that they want to stay at home or shame that they want yeah. to go back to work. And that shame is just so unhealthy and, and just so toxic because it keeps us in silo as opposed to connected around, okay, so what does this mean? Just let's be curious about what's actually happening here um yeah and it silences people in such an unhelpful way yeah I do um I I really really do agree and I think that it's just an unhelpful way of pitting women against women as well and saying well you're not a good mother yeah if you go back to work or you're a terrible feminist if you decide to stay home or you know however it is and all all of that I think we know is rubbish Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make it any easier when you're having to make those hard decisions yeah Yeah. um can I ask a bit about how your relationship has been impacted since having kids also quite a big question uh yeah I mean I think in it's difficult isn't it because I think in some ways it's been impacted really positively you know I think there's a way of you know before you have children I think you can think about the future and talk about the future and it feels kind of exciting and abstract. But I think going through the hard work of actually parenting and all of the changes that that brings about, I think there is a sense of, okay, we really are in in the trenches of it mm-hmm. together. And I think there's a sense of, okay, you know, we can do hard things. We can do these make these difficult decisions or we can be exhausted or we can be unwell or you know whatever it is that is challenging and we can still find care for each other and love for each other and we can still 
you know, find ways to be a couple, even when things are, you know, I think it's very easy in the honeymoon stages mm. when you don't have those pressures. But I think for me, there's been a real sense of, oh, we can do difficult things together as a couple. And that has been really beautiful, I think, to see that and to see that we can still show up for each other mm. and still care for each other. And I think it has taken us much deeper into our our marriage and our relationship. Mm. That said, I think it's also really hard sometimes. And I think especially when, you know, as I said, we kind of, you know, we followed, I guess, a fairly like intensive parenting route with our daughter. That sounds terrible, but I mean, like it was time intensive. You know, I breastfed her until she was a toddler. We co-slept together. Mm. Um, You know, I decided to, to not work and stay with her. And I think all of these things, Again, it's something I think I've I've seen resonated in other people's experiences as well. But I know that especially at the beginning, I was like, I'm giving everything I have right now mm, to this person. one small person. Yeah. And I just don't have anything left to give. Um, I remember feeling super touched out, mm. you know, when my daughter was very small. Like, you know, I've got a child on me or like yeah. <laughs> feeding from me or sleeping on me or, you know, on the sling or something. Mm. And just that sense of like, oh, I just want space, mm. which I think was really hard for my husband because, you know, he'd be at work all day and like, oh, I haven't seen my wife or my yeah. daughter. And suddenly there's a sense of like, oh, good, just give me <laughs> just space. Get away from which me. I think was really yeah. tough. Um, but I, and I think that actually, you know, especially at the beginning of lockdown, I think was really tough for us, like a lot of couples. I think it was really difficult all being at home, but also not having any time for each other. You know, normally my daughter was attending a childminder just for a morning a week. Mm. But, you know, it was it was something and my mum would often come up and, you know, I think life just felt a little bit less pressured. Yeah. Um, whereas with the lockdown, my husband's work suddenly really took off massively um he works for a university and he was doing some research around covid stuff so suddenly huge pressure for him and I was writing my book and also trying to juggle um sort of lots of increased um yeah like requests and things for for my clients and I think it just really felt like we have enough for our jobs and we have enough for our daughter but we don't have enough for each Mm. other and I think we really had a difficult period from that lockdown. But I think it, you know, again, it, I don't want to say it was a positive thing, but I think it in a way was positive because I think it, it made us stop and go, you know what, we don't want to be like this mm, with each other. Yeah. We can't carry on bickering with each other all the time. This isn't the kind of life we want to have together. Mm. And again, has kind of really forced us to look more deeply at how we're communicating with each other how we're asking for our needs to be met with each other so we're really trying to practice nonviolent communication um in terms of yeah how how we're rather than not having disagreements mm-hmm. you know rather than arguing and getting cross with each other trying to argue better yes I um, love that. and it's definitely a work in progress but it's been yeah it's been really cool seeing that actually we can now have an argument or a disagreement and feel actually more connected at the end because we feel more heard rather than um a space where I think we both were for you know a good few years of going you know every argument or disagreement left us feeling disconnected or Mm. angry or you know frustrated that we weren't 
being heard or seen. Because you're not quite getting um, to what you need or what you're asking for. Yeah, yeah and, then... and not really understanding the other person yeah. and that they might have very different priorities. Mm. Oh, I love that you bring that up so much around, well, so many things in that. I think that personally I relate as well, and I think lots of clients as well, that they're initially um, lockdown was really hard but something about not being able to escape which sounds awful Mm. something about not being able to leave as like leave the house go to work leave the house go for a walk um because it forces people to push through in a way that we haven't had to before yeah um and to complete conflict as opposed to just have a spat and not actually get to the thing that we need um, and that's, uh, yeah, I really relate. I think I'm not good at asking for what I need in a clear way. Mm. And I've really, I mean, that's been like a lifelong work for me. And I think that's still mm. in that lockdown, which is really intense um, around the like, demands hugely increased from kids and work and everything. And um, yeah, just not saying I need this or I need that and oh yeah just what a messy sort of uncomfortable space but I think yeah that conflict is so important and so regenerative that if we're not saying this mm-hmm. is what I need and um, what do you need where are you in this um yeah and that conflict is so connecting if we if we like you say do it well yeah, yeah. It's, it has been really difficult I think and also you know usually I would you know I, I home educate so it's difficult because I don't go to work or an office you know I work from yeah. home and but I still you know we still have play dates or we'll go to home ed groups so I see other adults I see uh, my daughter sees other kids you know mm. we have we go to museums and galleries we chat to people I go for dinner with my friends you know all of a normal Lovely life things. and then suddenly our partner has to be everything yeah. he has to be the mum I had a five minute chat with as we waited for coffee he has to be the friend that I just had a two-hour dinner with and <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's impossible. Yes. Of course, it's impossible. He can't be those things, and I don't want him to be those things because mm. that's it's completely unrealistic. Um, and actually, I don't, I I wouldn't want that even if he could because I want my friend yes. and a random woman in a coffee <laughs> shop. And you know, I don't yeah. I don't want everything to come from one person. Mm. Um, but it's hard because I guess you know there's so much so much what we've been lacking in lockdown, and I I say this as someone who again has you know I've been able to work from home my husband works from home we have so many privileges but still there's been a huge sense of lack Mm. and just of exhaustion and yeah I've just kind of yeah it feels never-ending um and even now you know most people's children have all gone back to school and stuff and I think there's been a bit of a collective Mm. you know taking stock which is lovely but we don't have any of that yet and there has been no guidance for how home educating families might Mm. try and also rebuild that social connection for their children and for their families and so I think it feels a bit like you know I was saying to him the other day it sometimes feels like I'm you know I'm that one percent battery on airplane mode on battery saving (laughs) mode just trying to push through until we can get to that and it's um, true, it's horrible to be forgotten also by a system that your structures, like you still had all sorts of structures in place and that those mm. are important. And yeah, what's happening to parents that are home educating who have chosen to home educate and yeah, yeah are living on pause, um, it's not okay. Yeah. Um, I'm mindful of our time um, and that we should probably wrap up. But um, yeah, of course. Thank you so, so much for chatting. I feel like 
this could have been a five hour one. <laughs> it was so lovely. <laughs> I feel like we're just beginning as well. Um, but yeah, I think we should leave it there. Is there anything else that of you course. wanted to say or anything sort of burning? No, okay. I don't think so. I mean, I think just on that last on that last point, I think that's why it's so important. And I think it circles back to everything we've been talking about, really, as as parents and as just humans who are interacting with other humans. I think just being compassionate with ourselves mm-hmm. and being able to just take note that, okay, I am feeling drained or I am feeling burnt out. And that might mean that my parenting isn't what I would wish it to be or my marriage isn't what I wish it to be or my you know, ability to be a friend in this moment isn't what I wish it to be. But yeah. I think cultivating that sense of compassion for ourselves is, yeah, is just so important in so much else mm. that we've covered and discussed today. Yeah, and topping up and looking after ourselves. Absolutely. So important. <sighs> okay. Oh, but it's been such a pleasure to chat. <laughs> it's been so lovely, Julia. Thank you so, so much. So lovely to have you. Thanks, Eloise. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I have to say this conversation with Eloise really boosted me after a difficult week in the UK. Today is the 11th of March and this week we've seen children return to school. We've also seen the release of an interview by Oprah Winfrey, um, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. We've heard the awful news that it looks like Sarah Everard, the woman who was abducted um, from Clapham in South London, appears to have been murdered this week, has felt heavy and a lot off the back of a, a heavy year. And this conversation with Eloise reminded me that there is such a hopeful edge to parenting, that we have so much, there's so much impact to be had, both in our lives and the lives of our children and the way that we parent and the way that we nurture our kids and find community and I'm really grateful for this conversation I hope it's felt hopeful to you as well if you'd like to get in touch with Eloise you can find her on Instagram at Mighty Mother or you can go to her website which is www.freedabemighty.com and I will see you next week have a good week bye Thank you so much for being here today. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm on Instagram at grounded underscore families. You can send me a DM or a voice note to my DMs or an email. I'd so love to hear from you. Please do like, share and subscribe this podcast. It really, really helps to get the podcast out in front of more listeners. And I'll see you again next week. Take care.